Leaving quarantine will feel like leaving 1,000 years of stone sleep. Am I right? Today, we're talking gargoyles. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation and living again. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. And like Chris said, today we're talking Gargoyles, um, a delightful 90s action-adventure TV show that is fondly remembered by everyone, uh, perhaps except the owners of the IP itself, Disney, um, <laughs> as it's the only thing that hasn't been rebooted from the 90s yet. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I like that there's a yet there. There's a yet. There's a yet. I feel like it's it's one of those like classic clickbait articles that you see like every two and a half years or so. You see like Jordan Peele wants to reboot Gargoyles or like something is happening behind like like the Chip and Dale show that I think is finally happening now. Um, <laughs> like it's been in the works. They want to do it. The the magic formula has never been quite right. <laughs> so maybe Joe Early, head of uh, Disney Plus original content development, if you're listening, uh, maybe I will convince you that uh, we should be working on that. But that, maybe not. Stay tuned. Who knows? <laughs> uh, today, specifically, uh, we've talked about gargoyles in what feels like a thousand years ago in podcast time, uh, like way back at the beginning of the show, when we were hitting all the things that we love early on. Um, and I think we haven't talked about it again since then. We haven't. It's been in stone. Yes. Sleeping. Basically. Hashtag we live again. <laughs> hashtag keep binging gargoyles. Which is also funny. So Greg Wiseman, the creator, tried to get hashtag we live again trending. Um, to get gargoyles trending, and now people leaving lockdown have been using hashtag we live again, so <laughs> I've switched to hashtag keep binging gargoyles as the more specific hashtag. <laughs> <clears throat> but today, um, we're going to talk about season three of Gargoyles, uh, aka the Goliath Chronicles, uh, which on Disney Plus, it's available for the first time since airing on ABC in the 90s, I think. Well, didn't I buy you the third season of Gargoyles on Disney Movie Club, or was that only season two? That was season two, part two. Wait, what? <laughs> so the, because Chris is not as familiar with Gargoyles, season one is 13 episodes. Then season two is 52 episodes. What? <laughs> season that, three that is 13 right for, That sounds right for the 90s. Season. Yeah. Exactly. And they did play like all 52 episodes in a one-year period, so it's not like they spread it out Cartoon Network style over four years or something. Sip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, I have a tea for anyone not listening. Um, that wasn't meant to be a shady, like, Kermit the Frog drinking tea moment, but... <laughs> it worked. It, it did work. <laughs> so after season two, which was 50-plus episodes, you end up with season three, 
and or a whole new show, depending on your perspective. Um, I won't try to go into all the background of possible drama that happened. Um, there are resources on the internet. I don't know if we'll ever, we'll ever know the whole truth, but the, the short story is Disney bought ABC. ABC needed some shows. Gargoyles moved there. As networks did in the 90s, they hired their own staff for the show. They moved it to 6 a.m. They had their own standards and practices. They put more rules on it. And um, it's just kind of a, a different show in many ways. And honestly, because it is, it hasn't been available, and I think the fan base of Gargoyles notoriously rejects it as non-canon and bad, I was um, finally wrapping up my rewatch of all of Gargoyles on Disney+. Plus. Watch now. Um, and I got to the Goliath Chronicles, a.k.a. Season 3, and was expecting much worse fare than what I got. Um it's not as bad as I remembered or expected. I think that each episode probably has good moments and gems in it. It's, I, I don't think it's a completely different show by any means. I think it still has the same DNA, if that DNA is perhaps um, not as uh, dramaturgically built into the entire world, like Young Justice, also Greg Wiseman's show, or... Venture Brothers style, where it feels like there's all these characters living their lives between episodes and you just miss all that. Mm-hmm. Um, season three is definitely like the characters only live their lives when they're on screen. Hmm. If that makes sense. That does make sense to me. Okay. Um, today, uh, specifically, our homework for everybody was just to watch season three, episode one, The Journey. Um, and season three, episode seven, and Justice for All. But Chris, I know that you uh, just marathoned like at least half the season. <laughs> I did. I I was the I was looking for something new to watch. We are we are between shows uh, right now as a family. Um, you know, we we finally caught up on and watched all of Steven Universe. We watched all of Star versus the Forces of Evil. We watched all of Avatar. And so we were looking for the, the next thing um, to go through. So I was scoping this one out, you know, just to see uh, is, is Jack the right audience for this? No, he's not. So this will be not like a family show necessarily to, to watch together. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought, why not just watch it? They're 20 minutes long let's i only have to get from one to seven for my homework so i will let's just see what's here what kind of stories and what else i can you know understand of the world that could better inform my understandings of episodes one and seven i don't know what it added so much (laughs) as opposed to simply learning which gargoyle was named what, uh, since it does give each gargoyle a moment uh, in the sun. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. But, uh, yeah, it gives each, each story gives, it gives each gargoyle a chance to, to have a, a moment. 
yeah, season three, I think does, I think one of the refreshing things that it does is that it kind of goes back to basics for nineties cartoon or like each character gets an episode at the beginning. Like here's the Brooklyn episode. Here's the Broadway episode. Here's the Angela episode instead of as much interwoven plot and drama. And that's a nice soft reboot back to basics refresher on who everybody is. And you not having seen the first 65 episodes uh, (laughs) at all or recently. um, Do you feel like you had enough to go off of? Does the show stand on its own at this point? I feel like the opening credits, which are not, and you can talk about that, but I feel like the opening credits gives me the mythology of the world, the concept, understanding. But then when we get into the story, it becomes like, who are these people and why do I care about why any of them are there in the same room together? You know, what is this living situation? Who likes whom? Like, it's not really specific who's good character, who's bad. Like, who are they actually fighting? What are they after? What do they do when they're awake at night? Like, what? what's going on? So I think, I think it's like the character names and their look and in 90s style, like that's, that's all you get. And then you'll get a person of the week who is uh, a voice actor from the 90s, you know, could be Rob Paulson. It could be Tress McNeil coming in. Um, Jim Cummings, and then having them do one of their voices that they do somewhere else on this show to perform a person of the week, 90s problem of the week. Like, it's, it feels really like this is a 90s character problem, like, especially the, the runaway episode. <laughs> yes. Like, uh, like we, are, we are 90s white kids who ran away from home and our yuppie parents will have to come and get us and we'll go back to living life and it's like oh come what what it's very much like ninja turtles the the first movie like it had that same kind of like problem oh you you're you're just a a white kid with a rich dad who doesn't pay attention to you and now you're like (laughs) running away from home because reasons (laughs) i I don't know if it was just 2020 and perhaps part of like why I felt that I liked the season better than I remembered from 25 years ago. Um, I guess I was more open to the campiness of it too. Mm. I love the campiness of it though. I think it, I think that was my favorite part of it. Like it was, I was entertained by it, but I was also thrown, but say more about, about that. Well, it's, uh, I feel like within the Gargoyles fandom and within 90s animation fandom to a certain degree, like Broadway goes to Hollywood is the equivalent of the Fonz jumping the shark uh, (laughs) as a plot idea. And this time I was like, this is awesome. Like, let's show Broadway how hard this town can be. Like, yes, (laughs) give me a terrible one-liner. Give me more. (laughs) Like, I, I just... 
my disbelief was suspended and my heart was open to <laughs> how silly it was. Because uh, I think that even in the first couple seasons, some of the best moments of Gargoyles are when it's kind of aware of how silly it is as a concept mm. and gets campy. Um, I remember in my rewatch, I made it to the moment when I think it's early in season two, Goliath tries a jalapeno for the first time at the end of an episode. <laughs> and he just takes a bite and his eyes go out. He shouts, jalapeno, jalapeno, jalapeno. And that becomes like their substitute curse word for the rest of the show. <laughs> and they just say jalapeno whenever something's going wrong. Uh, and I forgot about that. It's dramaturgically useful, but it's such a silly, ridiculous moment um, that I can love it for being silly and ridiculous on top of being character building. <laughs> Let's have an ancient Scottish gargoyle try jalapeno. What's his reaction? <laughs> that sounds like a TikTok video. This yes, ancient, that's it. <laughs> this, this ancient monster from Scotland tries a jalapeno for a first time. Can you imagine a reboot with like a teenage Elisa Maza like filming TikTok videos of the gargoyles? I think gargoyles are scared of cucumbers. Let's find out. <laughs> Do like the cats afraid of cucumbers compilation. <sighs> yeah, I can see it. And maybe that's a little too easy to see. And maybe we should burn that idea. Burn it. Um, I... I, I do like, I think I texted you after watching the first episode. Um, I said, I feel like this is Disney's answer to Batman the Animated Series and the 90s version of X-Men. <laughs> yes. Um, and when they were developing the show originally, and again, I... I apologize to the Gargoyle superfans who have not listened to our podcast and found us through search results on your podcast app for not <laughs> quoting everything right. I am a super fan, I swear. Uh, I just am not good with names and details. Uh, <laughs> when the, when Disney was developing the show and it started to pick up momentum as like more of a, a dark action adventure show, um, they hired uh, one of the Batman the Animated Series directors and... Um, a husband and wife writing team for the show. So the first two seasons have Greg Wiseman and a Batman director and two Batman writers. And then when ABC got the show, uh, they hired the uh, story editor and co-developer for the X-Men animated series. And most of the writers that got brought on board were also X-Men writers. So you have, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the In short, yes. yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Uh, and I think it very much did kind of get greenlit and made because of Batman in the first place and the ultra popularity that had and that was so like Simpsons it was so different than everything else happening at the time that suddenly everybody wanted to pile in and get a clone of that and I think to a lesser degree like X-Men and Spider-Man in the 90s are also clones of the Batman formula um all the while the singularity is collapsing in on itself as uh, things get copied and copied and copied until they become their own genre again. <laughs> I mean, it is, I mean, if you were to take Goliath with his wings shut like a cape and just did a, did a silhouette of that, 
like it's Batman. It's it's Batman there. With I'm hair. Gargoyle man. I'm gargoyle. I'm Goliath. Yeah. That's so, that was almost a little too cookie monster. Me Goliath. <laughs> uh, I'd watch that gargoyles reboot if the Muppets did it. Be hungry for justice. <laughs> I think um, they have um, done um. that. I think the Muppets have done that at some point. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, yes, in short, the, the singularity is collapsing in on itself. Um, you mentioned something about the opening credits, and I had to confirm with you. Uh, I think that someone at Disney Plus liked Gargoyles before it launched, because all the episodes are in the right order which is a minor miracle in itself for something that is very old. Uh, but also, for some reason, someone's decided to re-edit the Goliath Chronicles Season 3 because it had a different opening. And there are very few things I'm prepared to say are objectively terrible about Season 3. <laughs> but the opening, I think, is objectively terrible. <laughs> and instead, they've re-edited this show to have the season two gargoyles opening that's the more traditional dramatic scottish castle collapsing goliath narrating now we live again cursed to sleep for a thousand years yes as opposed to i i looked it up online just to see if it was the same that i had watched and it's not the same on disney plus and they went um 90s spider-man like it feels like the 90s spider-man Opening credits. Someone out there is watching out for gargoyles. It'll get made one day. Just keeps showing up in like Disney Plus social media posts. It's like there's a little Goliath in the corner somewhere. <laughs> they know it's valuable. Um, so let's start by talking about the show. Um, and obviously, as the gargoyles super fan in this podcast, I will rain back in all the background contextual information. Uh, but the first episode of season three, The Journey, um, mm. is kind of, it was far enough along. Um, it is the only one written by Greg Wiseman in the season. And it's kind of the only thing that um, the fan base collectively says like, yeah, that's canon. That's good. Um, and I love The Journey. Uh, I forgot how good this episode is. Hmm. I don't know how you felt watching it. Um, I felt there were lots of great moments, even though um, there's also some good campy moments too. Yeah, I, introducing the the quarrymen, and I mean anything now with that begins with the letter Q is a little bit um, creepy these days, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, as a villainous force um, full of blonde people and folks wearing, you know, red baseball hats um, as they do in this episode, which was striking and interesting to see uh, a blonde haired gentleman with a red tie trying to get people on his side, putting on hoods and um, grabbing mallets. which are traditionally, I don't know what I was going to say, but but the fact that they were like the shock, causing shock and awe 
that might be intentional. I'm I'm thinking it was. I I can't think of a good dramaturgical reason for hammers to be electrified and shotgun cockable, but uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, Speaking of campy, it's that it's like that one episode of Futurama where they have the one tool that looks terrible, and then like something else makes it just even more terrible. Like I think it was in Spanish Fry where they're gonna. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's just like, oh no, now here are little pinchers. And now here's the little thing that pops out. And then it like, and it moves the saw. And you're like, oh my gosh, it just gets worse. It's like, here's your hammer. Like we have hammers. We're going to crush the stone. <laughs> it's even worse than a mat. It's, it's not just a hammer. It's an electric hammer. It's an electric hammer. <laughs> Yeah, I I love it. I am um, easily swayed by like campy children's action adventure animation show things like that. Um, and Greg, anyone listening, uh, if you are listening, uh, I want you to know that I mean it as an absolute compliment when I say that it's cheesy and I love it. Not making fun of it. I adore the aesthetic choice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's... It worked in this episode because it felt like there was a bigger threat than people with with hammers. Like it's not that they had hammers that made them dangerous. It was the the indoctrination of other people and sk- using fear to activate people toward violence. Yeah, watching this episode now. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. It's maybe too topical. So I guess this would be like a content warning if this were a Facebook post. Uh, content warning contains a hate group that looks pretty similar to current hate groups right now. Um, like now, like now, 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 like yes, yesterday, literally yesterday. Um, you can guess when we recorded this episode, uh, 2021. Uh, <laughs> and it, I think the Cory men are an amalgamation of existing symbols of groups that have radicalized people in the mm-hmm. show. Like it's obviously KKK inspired. It's obviously um, got some McCarthyism to it. And I think also not just a pure hate group way. It's also got like Soviet Russia to it with their logo and the hammer. Um, it's not necessarily going to say like communism's bad. It's just going to say like, "Hey, Soviet Russia is bad, and like the Soviets are bad." And that was like just two years before the show was made, still. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. and just twenty years after the show was made. <laughs> um, sorry, Russian listeners. I do love Russian individuals, um, but also it it picks up on themes and whether intentionally or accidentally makes predictions about what modern hate groups look like. It takes people that are alone and afraid and puts them in a room and gives them the, um, the fishing hook of power and told you are not alone. This is a community. You have power fight back and it radicalizes them. It just picks off these, these people who are looking for something more. And that's exactly what the last 25 years of hate groups have been like. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe 
everyone working on the show was as much of an early internet nerd as I was. Maybe they were all on forums. And I don't think the internet culture has honestly radically changed since it was invented. I think this DNA was always there and has always been there. So anyone on internet forums, since I'm now ancient internet time, at like 1993, 1994, like it's all there still. It's all the same. <laughs> Maybe mm. they saw that and hoped it would get better, but built a plot off of that. Um, but as you mentioned, there's also a lot of characters wearing red hats for some reason. Um, yeah. And perhaps they are all intentionally white as well. I would guess they're all intentionally white, um, but also there, a lot of the characters on the show are white. Yeah, there were there was one um, one black person in the back who had his his red hat was backward. Yep. <sighs> yeah, and it, they begin with Q, which, as you said, is scary these days. Um, and it it. Maybe this is just coming off of what was happening in the 90s and coming off of um, the Oklahoma City bombings, coming off of the internet. Um, interesting. It's always interesting to look back at something made well before the 2010s even and see modern themes in it. Mm. I mean, is it ever really out of style for somebody who is struggling to be offered a scapegoat for their suffering and a way to express their, their emotion and their trauma in a, in a way that benefits somebody else. Like, I feel like that's always, that's, that's what all of it, I need you to align with me and I'm gonna take advantage of your pain and struggle and put you toward my cause and tell you that it's actually your cause because you can blame this thing of gargoyles. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Nothing else, just uh, gargoyles. Yeah. I think that that's, I think even Shakespeare in a certain degree of like manipulating one person, but in terms of like making the hate group, mm -hmm. that's probably been in culture in the real world for a long time since at least the 1800s even um, when I think our current period of history begins in the mid 1800s. That's my soapbox for a different time. Um, <laughs> I think sometime in the mid nineties is when creators started to pick up on this. And I don't know if that was the internet where people started to see that and make it visual and you could see what used to happen behind closed doors to vulnerable people happening in public forums in text posted online. And you could see it when that wasn't your circle for the first time. Hmm. But also, I I mean, the Quarrymen were created by the original show people. Um, I think some of the gripes I've seen in like YouTube videos about Gargoyles and that sub-niche of YouTube is people complaining like, oh, season three, all the villains like are, the old villains aren't there now. Like, well, that's, kind of the point of the show because gargoyles was steven universing before there was steven universe and the arc of the universe of gargoyles is that bad guys become good <clears throat> a lot of the best bad guys are in the show Xanatos, fox macbeth they're all there they're just all good guys now because people grow and change and i think it's so smart to make the villain of this third season 
for the most part, a group without a face, mm. both metaphorically and literally by having the hoods. Um, and that's the struggle that our main character's at right now, where they're known to humankind for the first time. They're struggling against public opinion. Their fight is against humanity now, not specific individuals trying to manipulate them or destroy them. Which is the bigger danger, I suppose, is yeah. society. And that's why of all the episodes, I also wanted you to watch And Justice for All. Which I think is one of the other two episodes of the season that really like frames that versus society narrative. And I know baby daddy Greg Wiseman of Gargoyles can <laughs> talk about what his original intentions were for that plot that he handed off to the new writers and uh, it didn't become what he had in mind. Um, but I still think it's important that that episode is there and I think it still is good and find it interesting without it being everything it could have been where the plot is Goliath is put on trial and has to defend that he's innocent and good and has to fight against public opinion on that. Um, and even has a line where he says like the, the public defender offers, we could do some legal shenanigans and say like, you can't be tried because you're not a human. And he says, no, vehemently, absolutely not. He wants to live in this community, be part of the community, and be subject to the laws of the community. Which is a real strong character choice. Yes. I, especially when he's in the cell. I said, we'll break you out. And he's like, I could have escaped myself. Like, I don't, I don't need help. Like, it's not about escaping this. I want to work through the process. Yeah. Because it will, the process will show that there is justice and it's going to work. And perhaps in the world where this was still the same creative team, perhaps it would have ended darker. Maybe it would have been broken down. Maybe the justice system can't withstand racism and bigotry. I don't know. We may never see that. <laughs> um, but it's a, like, People say the first two seasons are dark and the season three is very light. Like, perhaps plot-wise, but emotionally, I think the third season is the darkest. Hmm. How do you make that distinction? The plots aren't as black and white because it is kind of a faceless villain. Uh, it's more of an emotional struggle. I think that there's more philosophical depth to what they're doing. Um, the questions aren't as easy. Like, is Nightmare Before Christmas dark because it's, like, literally in design, <laughs> aesthetically dark, and mm. is on every Hot Topic t-shirt ever made? Or <laughs> is it dark because of its themes and what the characters do? Like, I would say it's aesthetically dark, which was a choice made based on the themes they wanted to talk about. Got it. And I think this showed Gargoyles developed because it was aesthetically dark because they wanted to deal with some darker themes and harder things to grapple with. Um, and then season three is the natural evolution of that, but different creators. So some things are kind of silly and there are campy one-liners 
we'll show Broadway how tough this town can be. I'm going to keep going back to that one because I love it. <laughs> um, but I think the show is still dark and doesn't deserve the criticism that it gets sometimes. Hmm. So do we want to talk a little bit about what goes on in Justice for All? I mean, we yeah. talked a little bit about the the main questions of the journey and, you know, the radicalization of the faceless um, enemy. And now instead of individual, it's group. What are, what are some of the things that are at work in, the, in Justice for All? I mean, we have um, Goliath believing in right and good, and I think struggling against the reality of the world and that not everything is right and good and that there are biases and the deck stacked against him. And he doesn't realize that because he just believes that by doing the right thing, he will prevail. Hmm. Um, and of course, the Cory men have plants in another group that is trying to rile up public opinion outside of this trial and really frame the narrative of how the trial is going without people actually looking at the trial. And I think this episode is in many ways inspired by the trial of OJ Simpson, since that was such a nineties event shortly before this. Um, Obviously, it is not mirroring the plot of that at all and not trying to make that approachable for kids. It's just taking themes from that and what kids may have seen at a very high level of that cultural moment and um, trying to say something about how the meta narrative of a televised trial can influence how we think something is actually going. And ask the question, like, is public opinion separate from what's happening at the trial? Can it ever be separate? Hmm. And is anybody actually being influenced by the truth? <laughs> Whatever yeah. that means. Can you put a gargoyle on trial and have him tried by his peers if none of the peers are gargoyles? Hmm. Because in the end, he gets framed. Well, not in the end. I suppose that's the beginning. In the beginning, <laughs> he gets framed for for the crime of things, but nobody listens to him. I mean, here's a here's a gargoyle in a loincloth being <laughs> accused of robbing a jewelry store and saying, "I have no need for these worldly possessions." How could I have done it? Like, what what motive do I have to do this? And yeah, he's honestly, look at it. Like, he doesn't have anything. He has nothing. What's he going to do with money? What's he going to do with jewelry? And like, we know that as an audience, but do the people of New York know that? They don't know anything about him. I don't know. How clean is the loincloth? Like, how <laughs> is it laundered? Asking some hard questions here, Chris. <laughs> well, I, I was just thinking that that's where my mind went. Like, 
because he's speaking in this grand, beautiful voice. You know, he's like this huge guy. And I was like, he's just wearing a loincloth. Yeah. What does it, what money does he have? If he had money, he'd be wearing a suit. They'd at least give him like a shirt for the trial or something. Right. Something. Here, you need to wear these pants or like be in prison and wear a orange jumpsuit or something. It's a different time. It's not one of those universes where they just magically have prison uniforms that fit every supervillain ever made. (laughs) This is humanity, Chris. They don't have supervillains here, as far as they know. I always love that in a show when like a bad guy shows up for trial or prison. Like, where'd you get clothes that fit Mr. Freeze? Did you like paint his suit orange? (laughs) We had this ready. Just in case. You just know that he's going to keep coming back here. So you just keep Mr. Freeze size clothing around. Just ready (laughs) for him at Arkham. Okay, cool. (laughs) (sighs) Oh. I also do appreciate, though, in this episode that the public defender and the judge were both women. Yes. Uh, I think in many ways, Gargoyles is a show that was very good at, and it's going to sound ironic for a cast that's mostly dudes, putting women first and foremost. Right. Not Not the Gargoyles, but the humans. I mean, dramaturgically, with the conceit of the show originally being they think they're the last of their kind, I understand why most of the main cast is guys. So they And this is Greg more. Wiseman. If you look at his shows in the future, like obviously Greg Wiseman does not create a show with gender imbalance in mind as a goal that he has. It's very equal and feminist. Um, so I think at many opportunities to try to put women forward in the spotlight in Gargoyles, whether the first two seasons or the third season. And I do appreciate the public defender who is kind of dumped in over her head and I think a very realistic portrayal of public defenders from my understanding of how that world works. <laughs> of busy and overloaded, I don't know what this case is, who am I defending now? Like, oh, you're not a person. <laughs> oh, you're a Gargoyle, great. That's just, why do I always get the hard cases? <laughs> Exactly. Rochelle wasn't even watching it, and she shouts, because you're the public defender. <laughs> yeah. Yes. She wasn't even watching it. She just shouts from while playing Animal Crossing on the Switch, like, you're, you're the public defender. Uh, and it was, I thought that was a nice dramaturgical choice, too, to have a public defender and not, like, have your rich friend hire the best lawyer for you. Mm-hmm. True. Because that's the system. Let's mm-hmm. see if the system actually works. Also, dramaturgically, they couldn't have Xanatos do it. Otherwise, how would it expose Xanatos as the person protecting them? So, there were lots of good reasons. Yeah, this this the show, even in season three, makes smart choices for the most part, or campy choices. They're smart or campy. <laughs> Sometimes they're smart campy choices. It's never any purely bad choice. I don't know the Amish episode. I don't. I I don't know if I could. <laughs> I mean, I did watch that. I somehow knew you'd mention that. Um, <laughs> uh, that 
is an episode. <laughs> it feels very 90s to me. Like, it just, there, there's nothing more 90s than a young Amish boy coming across like a monster. <laughs> and like, I'm like, this is, yeah, this, this fits, this works somehow. It, for the 90s, yes. In the plot, I, I don't know why they needed to be Amish. Um, I also have, like, qualms about ever putting anything in your show from a people or culture that aren't going to see your show. <laughs> Not that I don't think the Amish deserve representation, but <laughs> I don't know that anyone Amish will ever know or care about representation in Gargoyles. I do like the first on-screen appearance of Hondo Anaka, though. Oh, right, because he's the uh, the dad, Jim Cummings the dad. plays the dad, and it's 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 Hondo. It's Hondo's <laughs> voice. Like that's. I just what. It's got a picture Amish Hondo in Star Wars Rebels. Whenever I see it again. Yeah, I was. I just shut my eyes during that. It's like. That I don't know. You don't need to search my garage. This is all okay. Like don't even. <laughs> Yes, there are there are campy choices. Gargoyles about celebrating the strange tapestry of life that is all around us, no matter how offbeat that is. Whether you're living with your two former villains who are now married and have a half magical son that's babysat by a Shakespearean character. <laughs> Is is she scarred? Oh man. Okay. I will okay, do I my. If you if it's a if it's a thing, you don't like. Is is she robot? No, it's just a tattoo. It's a tattoo. Yeah. So so like okay. the whole blue the blue the blue area is a whole. That's a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So the uh, the short story for some of the main villains of Gargoyles, of oh course, of Xanatos, rich playboy. You know him. You see him. Pretty easy to grasp and understand. Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. Uh, you have Macbeth, the immortal Scottish king, who's barely in season three in the first episode. Um, he's on TV as Lennox Macduff in the debate. Oh, okay. Wait, he's a good so guy at this point. He's Macbeth, who's changed his name to Macduff? It's his uh, pseudonym. Yeah, I know. I know. Campy. Campy, Chris. Lean into the camp. Okay. Um, and then some of the other biggest villains are uh, in the first season, they introduced the pack, which is like a half American gladiators, half power Rangers, knockoff TV show of action heroes who all have dog themes and they're uh, a team. And they're also part Craven, the hunter, and they're looking for a new real challenge again. And basically they're sent after the gargoyles and, while they start off all together throughout the show, they kind of split up and have their own plots. But Fox was the leader of them. And long story short, falls in love with Xanatos. So now two of their villains are married and good guys. Okay. Because I kept trying to figure out what her, why she hated everybody and was so quick to be like, all right, let's give them up. We're done with these guys. Let's get rid of gargoyles. I... While I maintain Gargoyles puts women first and at the forefront of things, I think season three does kind of perplexingly like 
make them weaker characters and make them weaker character arcs um, and more stereotypes in some way. Like I loved there's one episode late on that looks like the staff of like the Lilo and Stitch TV show all got together 10 years early and animated that episode of Gargoyles for some reason. And like Elisa just moves lots of like hip sways and hair tosses and is like really feminine and like in a like sexy fun kind of way. And like, what is, what is happening in this episode? <laughs> like what is going on? the first animated woman with a gun is now just kind of like strutting in a high heels for some reason. <laughs> Whew. Uh, yeah. So mixed bag. I do still like season three more of the story. I didn't expect to, I do still like it. I think it's smart that Disney plus has rolled them all together as one continuous TV show in their library uh, for everybody to watch, whether the gargoyles, Super fans like it or not. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So, uh, since everything from the 90s is starting to come back in new ways and be reinvented or rebooted or followed up as a sequel now that we've gotten through the 70s and the 80s, um, is Gargoyles ripe for that kind of treatment? I think there's many ways you can do more Gargoyles in the world. <clears throat> and for me personally, uh, I think you could reboot it and you could do it differently. I don't know it can be done better. Hmm. I don't know if there's a compelling reason to do a full reboot of Gargoyles at this point. I don't have a hook. I can't envision a hook in my head for what that would be. Um, I wouldn't want to just reboot it and retell those stories and know that those stories aren't as good as the original ones that are already told. So it has to be like, how is this different? And you could air quotes, modernize it. I don't know that we're far enough away from it to really like have a meaningful modernization of gargoyles for the 2020s. There'd be some slight tweaks. I think all the characters would be the same. I think all the struggles would be the same. I think ideas like the Cory men are all still more applicable now than they were in the nineties. They may be like the first villains established almost. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I get one of the other hooks for doing this as a full reboot live action. Hmm. I mean, hey, you're listening to writers get animated. I personally wouldn't be as interested in live action reboot or remake of Gargoyles. Um, and I don't think that captures the audience that Disney's missing with that either. To me, this falls in like the same age group of shows as like Star Wars Rebels. Um Kind of like those midpoint shows that aren't. There's like the Disney Junior portfolio of stuff. There's the Disney Channel, Disney XD, DuckTales category stuff. Then you have the slightly more mature, often linked to greater franchise stuff like Star Wars Rebels, some of their 
uh, Marvel stuff. I think Gargoyles in that slot. And then you start getting into the Disney things that are oriented at adults, but are equally suitable for kids, like the actual Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. I don't think those are made for 12-year-olds. Those are made for adults <laughs> who buy all the fancy merchandise. But 12-year-olds can watch it, and that's not offensive. Mm-hmm. As opposed to DuckTales, which is made for kids, and adults can watch it, and that's not offensive. Right. Gargoyles is between the two. Um, so I guess my pitch, Joe Early of Disney Plus, um, would be a soft reboot. Mm. Continue the story of Gargoyles in such a way that you don't need to come into the new show with any of the background information or plot or understanding or knowledge of characters. It's still approachable to new viewers but old viewers alike will be as rewarded and enthusiastic about the show. And you have that built-in fan base. And if it's a Disney Plus original, if people are curious, hey, the first three seasons are in your streaming library. More reasons to retain and keep paying for your service between seasons of the thing that you love. Hmm. In many ways, my reboot, um, I think... The, the best touch point is The Force Awakens as a movie. Bear with me. <laughs> like, of course, it's a new story. Same universe, many of the same things, continuing the plot. Um, I would do a reverse Star Wars, where instead of nothing is canon from the past, I would say everything happened. It's all canon. The first three seasons, including the Goliath Chronicles, all happened. The mid-2000s comic book series Greg Wiseman got going to continue the story in his way that ignored season three also happened. There's some plot hula hoops you have to jump through and do some crazy stuff there, but I think you just need to pick and choose what you want to reference and just pretend it all happened at some point in the past if you need to. Almost like the DuckTales approach with their IP. Like, everything DuckTales is fair game. Here, everything Gargoyles is fair game. And there's very little of it. So, it's not that hard. Um, But I'd also, in the vein of Force Awakens, almost make it a real-time time difference. I'd pick up the show practically 30 years later, for some reason. Uh, Set it in the, quote, modern year, whatever that is. Uh, with animation, we know that that is uh, sometimes hard to predict, depending how far in advance you're making it. And I would, uh, in the plot way, in plot loopholes here, I'd probably make it in such a way so nothing really happened for the past 30 years. I think that the hoops I would jump through would be the magic spell they're affected by in the first episode of the whole show. I'd say that there's some science to magic too. And the fact that her cast wants to rise above the clouds is more tied to the average level of humanity and that we're getting taller in skyscrapers and going into space. And perhaps they've all just been stuck in stone for the past 30 years again, and no one knows why. And they figured out by sending part of the castle to the moon or something, I don't know. So they're above the clouds again, air quotes. And if you think as a Gargoyle super fan, but there's all these magical characters Couldn't any of them solve this for them? I would just go back to a line from one of the season two episodes where Oberon says, and your kind is no longer affected by my magic. 
go in peace, Goliath. And they can't fix him either. In a very God and Cain in the Bible kind of way, like they're immune now. They can't be helped. There's some plot hoops to jump through. Sure. I think those are fine explanations for the super fans and regular people just come in and say like, here's some cool characters that have been asleep for 30 years, but were alive in the nineties. I'm on board. Are you with me so far? I'm following. I'm with okay. you. I'm with you. I'm following. I would keep a lot of details close to my chest. And, uh, Joe, if you want me to pitch the Disney plus board, give me a ring. Um, I'd be happy you to do have all a spreadsheet, details. don't you? I do because I'm a new listener should know I'm a spreadsheet queen. So I like to uh, make spreadsheets for things. And I have spreadsheets of characters and I'm going through all this exercise just for funsies. I'm a nobody. I know that until, <laughs> until Joe early gives me the call. Like I'm a nobody. That's fine. Um, so it's my own personal spreadsheet of gargoyles fun. And it's tracking character arc or. Well, it's like, do you pick up with the same characters in a soft reboot or do you pick up with new characters? There's so many characters in this world, like Young Justice and Venture Brothers, which again, I love, but are maybe too dense for like the average kid audience that Disney Plus might be going after. Um, to me, the core of a soft reboot that I'd pursue would be the um, the trio of young gargoyles that we have from the original show, Brooklyn, Broadway, and Lexington, and focus on their relationship in the 2020s as brothers and acknowledging they're not just like rookery brothers in the gargoyle sense that like, Hey, we're born together. We're gargoyles. We've been together. Like, let's just talk about found family and we are brothers. We're here together for life. I would find a way to get Goliath mostly out of the show. Hmm. I think he's great. I think he's a good B plot character. I'd have him somewhere with Alisa doing something almost in reminiscent of the world tour where they go around and meet people all around the world in season two. And that plot can live on its own for a while, him trying to get back home. Because I don't see him as a main character in the reboot. Um, same thing, I'd make the older Gargoyle Hudson. He can retire. I like him. He can retire now. Let's focus on some other new characters. Because we need to get some women into this show, too. <laughs> are th so there are new Gargoyles? Or just new human characters interacting with the Gargoyles? Maybe. I think uh, You don't want to answer that. I think both. So what you get in season two is the they go around the world. It's a very short story of that. I'll let you watch Gargoyles at your own pace, Chris. And they do find out they're not the only Gargoyle clan in the world. There are other Gargoyles who survived, not because they were stuck in stone for a thousand years, uh, but because they've survived wherever they are. And uh, there's lots of hints from Greg Weiss about what he had planned for the series. I would love for a soft reboot to have his blessing or his involvement. I'm sure what I have in mind would be very different than what he has in mind. I'd still be as delayed to work on what he's doing and ignore all my ideas, Greg, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I think that uh, my soft reboot would be about found family, the arc of justice of the world of, all bad guys turn into good guys if you try hard enough. Mm -hmm. um, uniting through differences, what justice means. I don't think too many of these are different from the themes of the original show, but also 
because it's meaningful to me too, on a personal level immigration, because mm. it's kind of the plot of what's happening. Like these are characters who've immigrated, not just to a new country, but to a new time. And what does that mean? What does that look like as an immigrant experience in this place as a different species? Um, and I think that the soft reboot could pick up perhaps our main cast all got put in some kind of gargoyle museum after the events of season three. They're heroes, they're stone. We don't know why. Let's have Macbeth devote his money and resources to celebrating the life of the gargoyles. And maybe for some reason, all the gargoyles in the world turned to stone because Goliath met them all and they're all his clan now. So they're all affected by the curse. And they've just cherry picked some others from other clans to bring in as well. And so we have this new diverse clan from other people from everywhere, whether it's the comics or people they met in the show and let them do that. Hmm. Without going too deep into the lore here in the comics, Brooklyn does some time travel and he shows up 40 seconds later and 40 years older with a wife and kids. I'd want him to still be the leader and explore that story, that new Brooklyn. What does it mean now that he has finally found out what it meant to be a leader and finding home. How does he take on the burden of leadership of this new diverse clan? Building off of the character of Broadway and the famous slash, yeah, famous episode where he accidentally shoots Elisa in season one or two with a gun. It was a big gun PSA moment. Build off his character and kind of turn him into Steven Universe. He doesn't think violence is the answer. What does it mean for a gargoyle that's part of a clan and protecting and defending a city to not believe in violence. How does he contribute? How does he use his words to dissolve situations? What does he do to be involved in the clan? Build with Angela being her own time and space immigrant coming from a different clan already and being part of their clan and her leadership in helping others immigrate, understand what's going on, develop her relationship with Broadway, bring that out. Take Lexington, the techie. I'm keeping the gay plot that was meant to be there. I want him to be gay now. That was the intent. <laughs> was it? Yeah, they've uh, come out and said that they knew that in the 90s doing a cartoon show that they could never say that this character is gay. But if they ever got that chance, they wanted to do it in such a way that if they said it, it wouldn't be like, where'd that come from? Like Dumbledore style? Mm. And so there are small moments that Lexington gets throughout the show of like meeting a big burly gargoyle for the first time. And he just goes like, who are you? And like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there show. I get it. <laughs> and in the comics, they briefly introduce um, another potentially gay gargoyle character. I'd make him in the cast and not just like get them together right away. But I would want to explore that, what that means explore the immigrant experience of Lexington in the nineties going like, I don't see anyone like me. I don't think I can be this way and I want to be part of my family still. So I feel like this obligation and not go like to after school special because Disney plus wouldn't let me do that with gay stuff, but do it in a star versus the forces of evil way of like, it's there. It's clear to the people who know, uh, but we don't need to wax too poetic about what it means to be gay. <laughs> mm. Just get him a, get him a boyfriend, and let that be a thing. Hmm. 
Have I overwhelmed you with my plot? <laughs> I don't think I'm overwhelmed. I just, I just like that there are questions, um, questions to be answered. Yeah. And questions to play around with. What happened to all the non-Gorgoyles in the last 30 years? Where are they? Mm. Where we left their characters? What have they evolved into? Do they have children? I want Macbeth to be the Xanatos equivalent. He has daughters now. That's his reason for love. Maybe they're named Goneril, Regan, and Cordelia, and we keep with the Shakespeare theme. Make Cordelia a main character, and she can be another woman in the plot. Another woman? Just a whole, a whole another woman. That's what she is. <laughs> Singularly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate when I when I watched the two episodes for our homework, you know, episode one and episode seven, I appreciated that they were asking larger questions about a society that a kid would have no reason to understand. Like, oh, let's take this see how they're indoctrinating this character who's down on his luck and putting him into this hate group. See how, you know, there's public defender. Like, I didn't know what a public defender was and why she had that when I was um, 11 or 12 or a little older. Like, I think I, I, I appreciate that they're pushing these ideas and these questions on these episodes and having watched the first seven, I think those in the middle, the questions weren't as strong or interesting. Um, they were what if questions and they weren't really going deep. I mean, some of it was, what does it mean to be a leader? And I know Goliath gives his first spiel about this is the lesson that we're going to learn in this episode of gargoyle so watch and see what happens but i think the the questions in the two episodes that we watched were deeper than i was expecting for a 90s show um and i think that's what attracts a lot of people and me personally as a a fan still to it of it does ask deep questions and it doesn't necessarily hit you too hard over the head with answers or proposed answers. I think season three does come down kind of hard and beat you with a big stick on some of the, the answers. And I think outside of being a little too on the nose, um, those questions are still there and they're mm. interesting and it doesn't really pull punches. And I think it'd be interesting to see, I mean, any show in the modern day do what the journey does and show how easy it is to radicalize somebody and not sugarcoat that for kids. And they give us the point of view of like basically a nobody. He's in like one other episode. I won't spoil that for you. <laughs> in oh. the journey, the side character, uh, Vinny, uh, give us a point of view of this person that we don't know and have him be susceptible to this group and their indoctrination, but also at the same time, question it. It's not our main characters who are saving the day. It's an average person. It's the viewer having doubts and thoughts about this and showing what that means. Uh, that's important. It's important work. I think it's scary for 
networks and streaming services to have something that addresses that. I think you have to do it just right. But I think it can be done and should be done. Mm. I think, though, streaming services might make it a little bit easier because you have a little bit more control and it's not the same ratings push, I would think, that you would have on a network TV channel where you're vying for things. You know, I you that's how we're getting more exploratory, interesting things in the Pixar, Star Wars, Disney, and Marvel Universe. Um, just here are all these things. Here's 15 Star Wars things where we get to ask other questions and experiment and try. I think Disney Plus would be a, a good place for a Gargoyles reboot that reads a little bit more like um, animated Mandalorian, you know, mm. <laughs> kind of feel where it's asking the same questions as the original thing, but but updated and but also not. So, but I don't know what a nostalgia there is for 90s style. Yeah, everybody needs a haircut if it gets a reboot. I mean, right? <laughs> I love the 80s hair was alive and well in the mid 90s with Demona. Uh, but uh, I, mean, I don't know that everybody needs a mullet in rock star hair. Yeah. Thanatos, like right away, like that's that's going. Ponytail gone. Cut it out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Mullets you are that. in. Handlebar mustaches, not hair products and hairspray. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Mackenzie, did you have a favorite thing from the episodes that we watched? I do. It's a character moment from the journey. Um, Goliath and Elisa are kind of having a fight and they have a moment where they can talk to each other for the first time instead of fighting separately uh, with the villains. And they just have a quick moment of turning to each other and hurriedly asking, are you okay? Simultaneously. And it's such a nice moment that shows the character development for both them, how much they care about each other, but also Elise is not a damsel in distress. Mm. Perhaps Goliath is the damsel in distress in this situation. Yeah, that's all... I forget how um, vulnerable they are during the day. Like anyone can go up and break them is what it feels like. But maybe you need electric hammers for um, actually breaking the stone of gargoyles. I don't know. I don't know. Or they maybe just we'll look find cool. Out. That's okay too. <laughs> my, my favorite thing was Vinny. Just because he was like a bad 90s impression of John Travolta. You know, it was like a voice actor doing a John Travolta impression. <laughs> um, but but like, I don't know what's going on over here. Like, you got to stop with it. Like, it, it just was this unexpected thing. And I was just like, of course, this is the character who's having the Maybe we should be doing this kind of stuff. Like, it was just interesting this duality of really ridiculous side character 
with a ridiculous accent and being like the voice of reason. I just like that you don't need to be a main character aesthetically designed to do the right thing. <laughs> I think that's the moral there. <laughs> Give me that guy. We can all be main characters when our moment comes, and what will you do? <laughs> oh. Well, thank you for indulging me, Chris, in Gargoyles Day. Uh, should we talk <laughs> homework time? Let's. For your homework, watch the show Kid Cosmic on Netflix. And then come and listen to us talk about it on this show, on whatever you listen to podcasts on. I was like, I don't know what you're promising we're going to do next time that we don't usually do. (laughs) Uh, As always, thank you to our sound engineer, Nigel Cotino, and to Jacob Reed and the Champagne Drops for our theme music. You can find us on Twitter. Let us know what you love about Gargoyles, about season three, about reboots, about possibilities. Let us know. And you can find our show notes on writersgetanimated.podbean.com. And if you're Joe Early, uh, send me a DM on LinkedIn and we'll talk about the reboot. I'll be down there shortly. Don't worry. Good night, everybody.